And like, I know I've bagged on Cape Side High before their treatment of students, but marine biology, wow. I know. The academics. Their course catalog is really diverse. Their course catalog is so impressive. (laughs) Oh, Dawson, look, there's your mom. Back to you, Bob. Hello and welcome to Back to You, Bob, a Dawson's Creek podcast. We are your hosts, Christina and Micah, and this is 110 Modern Romance. Yes, the 10th episode of season one. Why don't we start off by you telling us what our Dawson's drink is? Our Dawson's drink this week is called the Ferris Wheel. One ounce of brandy and then one and a half ounces of either Sambuca or elderflower liqueur. The recipe link says elderberry liqueur, but I don't think that that's a thing that exists after Googling it. So I just assumed that it was a typo and bought a bottle of elderflower liqueur. I hate Zambuca and they're two very different flavors. So this is kind of like a fruity, light, springy, summery vibe. Yes. We wanted to pick a light drink because a lot of the ones that we found that dealt with this episode was like cotton candy, martini, like heavy drinks. Mm -hmm. We had a few milkshakey drinks there. Like for Breakfast Club, we had the Cinnamon Toast Crunch and then Brandy uh, Alexander. Alexander. So we wanted a lighter drink. I actually think this would be really good if I added some seltzer to it. A spritz. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll try that next time. Want to tell us what this episode's about? All right. So we open up episode 110, Modern Romance, in Dawson's bedroom. And he's lamenting the fact that Jen hasn't spoken to him in weeks. So Joey and Dawson are having one of those conversations that they always have in their bedroom in the cold opens, and she's preparing for him that for that inevitable conversation when Jen tries to friend zone him. Dawson says he honestly doesn't know what he's going to say when that happens. It turns out Joey is correct, because at school a few days later, Jen does ask Dawson to be friends, and he says that he's going to need to think about it, but he eventually comes around and tells Jen he's ready to give it a try. She says, that's great, because I'm going to be honest with you as friends right now and tell you that I have a date with Cliff this weekend, and we're going to the carnival. Dawson is like, oh my god, that's great, because I have a date too, and we're going to the carnival. And he suggests that they double date, which is cringe. Dawson takes Pacey's advice and asks a girl from the marine biology class, Mary Beth, to go with him to the carnival because he committed to this before he actually had a date. He was lying. And Mary Beth, she needs some convincing, but eventually she agrees to go. And she's this cute, sweet, nerdy, mousy girl. At the carnival, Mary Beth and Cliff are both a little shocked to find out that it's actually a double date, but they go along with it. Dawson apologizes to Mary Beth for being so insensitive and for using her. And she says it's fine. She's really not into this date that much anyway. She's only here because she has a crush on Cliff. So Dawson and Mary Beth team up to ruin the date. And they do this by first splitting up Cliff and Jen, right before they're about to get on the Ferris wheel. Dawson and Jen end up, of course, having one of their intense conversations where Dawson says to Jen, you know, a few weeks ago, you broke up with me because you said you wanted a break from men. But here we are not that much time later and you're on a date with Cliff. So obviously you didn't want a break from all men. You just wanted a break from me. And she fires back and asks, you know, why are you even here? This is a terrible idea. And he says, the question isn't why am I here? The question is, why did you let me come here? Could it be that you're not over me, just like I'm not over you? 
And this is where we leave Dawson and Jen in this episode. Mitch and Gail's story, meanwhile, kicks off when Gail's ex-lover, Bob, calls the house. And Mitch answers, doesn't realize it's Bob, and puts him through to Gail. Mitch is spiraling this whole episode anytime the phone rings. And their story ends with Mitch and Gail standing in the kitchen. They're crying. They're hugging. They're having a nice moment. And the phone is ringing. And it keeps ringing and ringing and ringing. It's a very sweet moment. The other big story in this episode is Joey and Pacey. Pacey gets a failing grade on his marine biology midterm, but the teacher really likes Pacey and thinks he's very smart, so he gives him an extra credit opportunity that will allow him to pass the class. Pacey is going to get paired with another student who needs extra credit, and it turns out that that student is Joey. So, of course, the two of them don't like each other. They fight and bicker the whole episode. They do not want to be paired together. Their hatred of each other further escalates when Pacey ends up killing the snails in their extra credit project while on his watch. It turns out that the project was to study the mating habits of two snails, and Pacey decided to start their romantic night off with a three-way and put a third snail in the tank, but he actually put in a carnivorous snail that ate the first two. So Joey and Pacey must go out onto the creek to find new snails, and Pacey screws up again when he does not tie the boat up, and the two of them have to go out in the water to get it, which leads to a steamy scene where they must change out of their wet clothes in front of each other, and after this, the ice has kind of melted a little bit. They're kind of having some fun with each other now. The whole episode, Pacey's wondering what grade Joey got on the test. In the middle of the episode, after they are bonding a little bit, she reveals that she didn't fail. She actually got an A, but she needs all the extra credit she can get because she has to get a scholarship to get out of Cape Side. Pacey assures Joey that she will get out. She can do anything she sets her mind to. To quote Pacey in a very famous quote, I wouldn't bet against that Potter girl, end quote. Pacey has every bit of confidence in her and says that she will be coming back to Cape Side and he'll just be tending bar pumping gas. So later at the carnival, Pacey confesses to Dawson that he has a crush on Joey and wants to pursue something with her, but he would never do it without Dawson's blessing. Dawson gives it, but then takes it back and then gives it again in the same conversation. When Pacey's dropping Joey off, he plants a kiss on her, but she does not receive it well and she does not reciprocate it. Pacey tells her that he has a feeling if she did kiss him back, she wouldn't be thinking about him anyway hinting that she would actually be thinking about Dawson. Later, Dawson confronts Pacey again and says he changed his mind. He does not want them kissing. Pacey says this is getting ridiculous and Dawson is really going to have to finally face the music and choose between the blonde or the brunette, Jen or Joey. And it ends on a very intense cliffhanger where the walls are kind of closing in on Dawson here. I feel like this was the first episode where Dawson is asked some hard questions and like forced to think about things that we've been kind of as an audience mulling over for the last four episodes, five episodes. Yeah. Who wrote it? This episode was written by John Harmon Feldman. He wrote episodes 104, 106. He co-wrote the teleplay for 108 with Dana Barada. He is a staple in this season and I feel like this was another good script for him. This episode was directed by David Semmel. He is a director and a producer. He directs nine episodes of Dawson's between season one and season two. He directs this one and then the finale of this season, which we'll talk about at length. Yes, a very big episode. So he he directed two pretty memorable episodes of the season. Yeah. Because Pacey and Joey have such a strong following. This episode is a lot of people's favorites because it's the one that kind of teased the pairing for the first time. He directed episodes of Party of Five, 90210, the original, Seventh Heaven, Buffy, Roswell, Angel, 
American Dreams. He was a producer on and directed 17 episodes of Homeland, American Horror Stories, three episodes of No Ordinary Family, which was created by John Harmon Feldman, who wrote this episode. So there's a little bit of a crossover there. And most recently this year, he directed an episode of The Silo for Apple TV. Wow, still working. Still working, yeah. 25 years later. Yeah, he's got some cool stuff in there. So give him a Google. And obviously these two liked working together because John brought him to his show, No Ordinary Family. That's been one of the most interesting things about us doing this writer-director segment. There really is so much overlap and it's cool to see writers moving to other projects and then bringing the directors along for an episode or two. It's cool. Yeah. Guest cast shout out. I mean, we have to give it to Mary Beth. Yes. Mary Beth, Megan Perry. Have you looked into her career at all? I kind of want to go on a tangent, if you'll allow. Yes. No, I have not. Okay. You know, she was kind of a one episode actress, which so many actors and actresses are. That's a really great way to make a living, just bounce around show to show. She was on this episode, obviously. She was in a Buffy, a Zoe Duncan, Jack and Jane, a Sabrina. She kind of just like made her way bouncing around. But she had a recurring role in a series called The Lion's Den in 2003. Do you have any recollection of this show? I've never heard of this show. Okay, so it's Lion, L-Y-O-N apostrophe S. And it was a law show. It was about a law firm. And it was Rob Lowe, Elizabeth Mitchell, David Krumholtz, Kyle Chandler. It was an NBC show that premiered in 2003. It was a 13-episode order, and they only got through six episodes before they canceled it. So she had a recurring role. I think she was in maybe half of the episodes, but obviously not all of the episodes aired. The reason that I think that this show is so interesting is Rob Lowe did an episode of the NPR show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, in 2014. I guess he maybe also wrote about this in his book, and that may be what they were referencing and why it came up. But because the show was canceled after six, but contractually, they were obligated to shoot all 13 because they said that there was a chance that they would sell it either abroad or they would want to put it out on DVD. Rob Lowe conspired with the writers and they rewrote the last seven episodes to completely change the story. They had this like completely new ending where <laughs> Rob Lowe's character was kind of this straight shooter lawyer in the first six and then it, he unwound into this psychopath and it became apparent that he was an actual serial killer. Mm -hmm. And in the finale, Kyle Chandler, who is also a lawyer at the same firm, comes into him while he's eating dinner at the firm and presents him with evidence that he is, in fact, a murderer. And Rob Lowe murders Kyle Chandler with the knife that he's using to eat his steak finishes eating his dinner, and then jumps off the balcony. And that's how the series ends. Holy crap. What a story. So they never aired those. They were just no, shooting those. They never aired them. And I I was Googling everywhere because, of course, I want to see that. Yeah. That's amazing. That's a great story. I know. And she was in it. Mary Beth. Now, was it kind of an FU to the network? Like, let's just spiral and be crazy? I think it was them just kind of being like, what are we doing this for? This is all made up. But obviously it was contractual obligation. So he was like, why not just do like when you ever have the opportunity to completely go off the rails? And at the time, NBC streaming wasn't a thing yet. Obviously, nobody's minds were mm -hmm. like forward thinking enough to realize that this may one day see the light of day. They were like, this will never be on television and we probably won't put out the DVDs. So 
Rob Lowe in that interview said that they brought it to the studio and they were like, yeah, sounds good. Great. Do it. What a story. I know. I was just looking through her credits and I saw that series and she had multiple episodes of it. And I was like, I've never heard of this. And then I went down a complete rabbit hole. I'm looking at pictures of it. I don't, I mean, I know everyone on the cast, but I don't remember the show at all. Wow. I love Mary Beth. I think she was very cute. And I remember at the time I wanted her to be on it more. I thought she was going to be like a new, like Cliff Elliott kind of a character where she's in the DC verse now, like she's fodder. I feel like she's a good compliment to Dawson. She's kind of buttoned up like he is. It seems like her sensibilities are similar. Yeah, she would have been a good little partner for him. I mean, she says he's too neurotic for her, but she's a little neurotic as well. She is. Yeah, she was cute. I liked her. What about music moments? There's a few visceral music moment memories in this one. Go ahead, you start. A Jan Arden song plays when Jen and Dawson are on the Ferris wheel, having their little bicker fest. Hanging by a Thread by Jan Arden. I just knew it immediately. I was like, oh, it's Jan Arden. And then there was a song that played, was it when Joey and Pacey were walking? There's a song where... Dawson's laying in bed and then Mitch and Gail hug and then Dawson goes to talk to to Pacey. That's what it is. It's called She's the One by World Party. It's one that stood out to me. It's a really good song. The music's getting more iconic. This is kind of a music past first present crossover, but there's a song called I Want to Be Your Underwear by Brian Adams playing when Pacey's looking at Joey in the rearview mirror. I don't remember that song at all. Like it's kind of like a pervy, upbeat song. And in my memory, that scene is so like exciting, like butterflies. And when I heard the song come on, I was like, what the hell is this song? I don't remember this at all. I don't remember the scene as being sweet. I actually remember it as being pervy and creepy. (laughs) But the way he smiles, it's just, Joshua Jackson is just really cute. But I, I remember some type of song playing at that moment, but I couldn't tell you what it was. When I heard it watching back, I didn't recognize it. I don't know. I guess maybe it's because like he's so cute and he is. He's being a perv. It's I'm not giving him a pass on that. But she gets back in the car and then she has like a little bit of a flirty moment with him when she's like, take me home, Jeeves. That song doesn't pop as a memory, but the other two definitely do. Good songs. They will, of course, be on our playlist. Updated every week. Do you have any past first presents? I don't think I have any intense past versus present. I remember loving this episode at the time because we've sat through nine episodes of Dawson and Joey, Will They, Won't They, which is like three months. Because I remember in season one, they took a really long break. They took like a four or five week break in between episodes randomly. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was like a spring break thing or what. So we were three, four months into this Dawson, Joey, Will They, Won't They. And just the fun, the dynamic shift of Joey and Pacey was just really exciting. And I remember thinking this is neat this is exciting i'm I'm interested in this but as far as past versus present i don't think i have anything but i do remember at the time i was very into this tease the only thing for me that kind of stood out was mitch's part in this episode and how he has to be a little bit vulnerable with dawson being like has anybody called that i should know about that whole scene hit a little bit harder this time so i guess if i had one past versus present it would be just now the writer in me I feel like there was a scene from Mitch and Gail that was on the cutting room floor that we didn't see. There's the scene where Bob calls the house, Mitch answers, doesn't realize it's Bob, hands the phone to Gail. Gail ends the call as soon as she can. Mitch says, how dare that man call my house? He has some nerve. If he calls my house again, the only question I'll be asking him is, do you have health insurance? Then there's a scene where Mitch checks in with Dawson and he says, 
has anyone called? And Dawson says, no, I always take messages for you. And Mitch says, I don't mean has anyone called for me? I mean, is there anyone that's called the house that I should know about? And Dawson says, no, dad, he hasn't called. And then the next time we see Mitch and Gail is like 25 minutes later, and they're hugging in the kitchen while the phone is ringing. And it's super cute. And I like that, that it's just a quick button because mm-hmm. it's while Dawson's racing out to go tell Pacey that he doesn't want him and Joey to kiss. But the writer in me now is like, why is Gail crying in that scene? Something's yeah. missing. I feel like something is missing there. Like one scene, one little beat of that story is not there. Do you feel that way? Yeah, like maybe the phone rang and he blew up unnecessarily or something. One little touch. Yeah, I feel like there was a fight between them in the second half of the episode that we didn't see. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Let's open the episode up. Let's open it up. This episode is, it's funny because it feels like there's not a ton to talk about, but it's a solid episode and it's memorable. I think we all kind of remember Mm -hmm. the PC Joey carnival episode, but yeah, there's just not a ton to analyze, but it's, it's a solid, great episode. Yeah. I feel like James Vanderbeek did a really good job in this episode. Like they're... There's so many times that he's receiving news that's the opposite of what he wants when they're in the hallway and he's like, hey, you asked me a simple question. Here's my answer. Like, yes, we can be friends. And he asks what she's doing this weekend and she's reluctant to tell him. And then she says she has a date with Cliff. His face in that moment is so blank and like he takes his moment to process it. And he's like, oh, no, totally. Why would you be afraid to tell me that? And then he goes around the corner and kind of actually processes it, but not in an over the top way or like a Dawson crying meme way. I felt really real to me. Yeah, he has a lot to play in this episode. It's very roller coastery, and he does a good job with it. He's pining for Jen. He's playing against Mary Beth. He's lying to her. He's mm-hmm. juggling a lot of balls. He's a great little actor. He really is. He is. And then at the end, he has this complete curveball come at him where he's been fielding all of these other emotions the whole episode, and then Pacey brings Joey into the mix. It really is a roller coaster entire episode for him. Yeah. So can I read you the plot of the movie Modern Romance that this episode is named after? Please. Okay. So Robert, played by Al Brooks, is a Hollywood film editor right in the middle of cutting a new film. His relationship with bank executive Mary, played by Catherine Harold, is caught between undying devotion and endless agony. (laughs) It's all because selfish Robert is a bit of a self-involved neurotic who can't quite decide if their relationship is meant to be, mainly because he's not sure if she's the one or there's someone else. (laughs) Robert breaks up their relationship only to find the modern romance isn't as it seems, and the people you love might be the ones that you hurt the most. He and Mary end up driving to a cabin where intense jealousy causes Robert to alternately accuse and annoy Mary and propose marriage to her. So it feels like that was very tightly tied (laughs) Selfish, neurotic, questioning whether the relationship's meant to be, roller coaster, endless agony, undying devotion. (laughs) Thousand Larry in a nutshell. I know. I wonder if they named the episode this and they're like, let's just do our version of this movie in this episode. You know what else I also noticed? I never realized some of these episodes, they have Dawson in a dilemma and Joey gives him her blunt take on it. And then Mm -hmm. Pacey kind of gives him his take on it and the takes kind of send Dawson off on his journey for the episode which it's like a formula that I never really realized was there before like he takes action based on what they say yes and they both have such different Joey is so blunt and honest and a realist and Pacey's more of a jokester Uh, what's Pacey's advice like 
this episode more than the others made me see Pacey in a different light because he is optimistic almost and like so everything is not that serious to him so he realizes he likes joey he goes to the one person that he has to ask permission for asks him kisses her tells her he likes her there's no mulling for him he's like hey this is what i think is happening in this situation and let's lay it out and if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out like he's not neurotic at all yeah more practical if it doesn't work out he'll be fine yeah to put it more succinctly I never really noticed before that Dawson always kind of has Pacey on one shoulder, Joey on another shoulder, and Pacey's kind of like the optimist, making things light, and Joey is this realist, and he's just constantly torn between these two points of view. I I just never, it's so obvious looking back on it that that is what the show is, but I never noticed that that, it's a formula that's popped up a few episodes now, how their opinions and the contrast of their opinions inform his action. This episode's a great example of it. Pacey's basically advising Dawson to like neg Jen, <laughs> which is like become friends with her and then friend zone her. He says, don't make her feel special. That's not on the Dawson friend, friend package. Uh, yeah. And then, <laughs> and then she'll miss it and come back to you. Yeah. That was funny. Again, to support your is Jen ET theory. There's a perfectly framed shot of Joey and Dawson on his bed in the beginning of the episode and ET is directly in between them. I did notice it this time. There was another shot that I really liked in the biology room. They shoot through, uh, like there's like a shark jaw. You have opened my eyes or made me pay attention more to the shot choices. And like, I know I've bagged on Cape Side High before their treatment of students, but marine biology, wow. I know. The academics. Their course catalog is really diverse. Their course catalog is so impressive. (laughs) And then what a coincidence that Mary Beth, Joey, Pacey, and Dawson all chose the elective marine biology. And that Pacey was allowed in. I will say, having worked in production and like worked on sets, the thought of shooting a carnival gives me hives. Same. So many background actors and so many moving parts. I feel like they pulled it off really well. They did. We spoke about this last episode with the bar. I feel like they had the appropriate amount of extras. Like it felt like a kind of crowded, everything felt right. Good production quality. Yeah, it really felt like a real carnival. And that's something interesting. Carnivals, they just make you feel a certain way, don't they? Like I always attribute them to like summer. Our carnival came always like May, June. So Mm -hmm. it was always end of the year, you know, summer dating. It just makes you feel a certain teen drama tingly sensation. (laughs) I can't explain it. It was always a place where, for us, at least in our town, where our parents would feel comfortable dropping us off. So it was like we could like go hang by ourselves. The movies and the carnival were the two places where it was like, yeah, go ahead, do whatever. All right. There's a few things I want to talk to you about. Did you notice in the kitchen scene when... Bob calls Mitch and Gail, the newspaper that Mitch is reading. No. It's a Syracuse newspaper. No. Sure is. A little Easter egg. Cuse. Oh, maybe we should mention that there is a scene where after Dawson asks Mary Beth to go on the double date, he and Joey are talking and Joey says, I'm so disappointed in you. You're basically using Mary Beth. And he says, yeah, I hate myself. I'm not acting myself. And she agrees. 
And she says, you know, you're you're not a jerk. You're a good person. So I don't know why you're acting like this, but hopefully like your jerkdom isn't going to last long. I just thought it was funny based on what we talked about last time or the time before where your main character needs to be very flawed and go on these journeys and realize these things about themselves. But I thought it was interesting. They were basically saying that, that yeah. he isn't acting himself and he's being very weird lately and being very flawed and being a jerk. And the fact that he's recognizing it means that he's growing. Yeah. Yeah. And in that scene, he says, I got to be honest. I wish I was taking you with me today. She goes, I have to be honest. So do I. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was the mood I was in when I watched this episode, but I just didn't have the tolerance for Dawson this week. Whoa. <laughs> just like, I was just like, shut up. Oh, don't, the tables have turned. I don't want to hear it from you right now, sir. Exhausting he is. Exhausting that Dawson Larry. There comes a point where I am invested in Dawson and Jen, but it's not in season one. So to see him again for like the fourth episode in a row, neurotically pine for Jen, I'm just like, shut up. Yeah. But anyway, could have just been my mood. I don't know if we've touched on this yet, but you said in the recap, Mary Beth and Dawson team up to split Jen and Cliff up and ruin their date Mm -hmm. so they get on the ferris wheel and mary beth is sitting with cliff and it's so awkward and wonderful but dawson basically traps jen on the ferris wheel and he has the cringiest conversation with her where he's like you know i need you and a part of me thinks that you need me too and she's like no and he's like okay just don't tell me that you don't need me because that will break me but he has a good point. You know, she broke off their relationship because she wants to be alone. And then two weeks later, she's on a date. So. Absolutely. Her entire speech, we went over it in 108. She's like, I've never been alone on a Friday night. I need a simple life. She really drove that point home. Yeah. Maybe he's not owed an answer, but I, I think there's an argument there for he is owed an answer. So there's a scene later in the episode where Joey and Pacey have stripped into their blankets because they had to wait in the water and he brings Joey home and Joey lends him Bodie's clothes and they're chatting in the kitchen and he's hammering her for what her midterm grade was and why she needed extra credit. And she opens up and says that she got a 98 and she has this little speech about how look around. I sleep in the living room. I'm a boarder at my sister's house. I need to get out of this town. And the only way that I can guarantee getting out of this town is with a scholarship. And the only way I'm going to get a scholarship is being undeniable, basically. And I just thought that was such a good glimpse into Joey's life and drive and kind of like what fuels her. And then I think that was the turning point for Pacey to be like, Joey's hot. Mm -hmm. I think he really was impressed by her. Well, the the quote, don't bet against that Potter girl is a very famous quote in the PC Joey, the PJ, the uh, JC, if you will, fandom. Because at the end of that scene where he's saying, you know, you're going to get out. I'm not going to get out. You're going to get out. Which, (laughs) I mean, let's just stay tuned. Yeah, I mean, that's what happens. Sorry. I mean, most people that I know that are watching along with us have seen it. It's cute and it's accurate, you know, because growing up in a small town, you have those weird conversations. Oh, yeah. He specifically says pumping gas. Like that was a weird thing in our town. Like if someone bullied you, like your friend comforting you would be like, don't worry. Like they're going to be, they're never going to get out of this town. They're going to be here pumping gas and you're going to like go on. Okay. Maybe I do have a past versus present. 
I remember thinking, so obviously at the time, you know, it's network TV, so they couldn't show anything bad. So they just show Katie Holmes's bare back as she's changing when Pacey's watching her. So I always thought, you know, in my little chaste virgin naive mind, like Pacey didn't see anything. <laughs> now I'm like, oh, they probably wanted us to think that he saw her naked or topless. And that was just something that struck me. I was like, oh, he definitely saw yeah, I something. didn't really think about that either until this moment. He definitely saw something that he liked. I was like, oh, man, he's really smitten by her back. Her back. Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely think he saw her topless. But my little my little virgin mind didn't go there in 1998. I was like, oh. Even in 2023, I didn't go there. You didn't go there? Now. <laughs> I think that's all that I wanted to talk about. Should we move it on to Creek Speak? You have a voice note, don't you? I do. Very exciting that we have our first voice note. Oh, from... thank God. You've been asking for this for weeks. <sighs> yes, from a very dedicated listener, my friend from college, Cassiris. She has a book gram that you should all follow. It is What Kiss Reads on Instagram. What KISS Reads. How exciting. Let's hear it. Hey, Christina and Micah. This is Cassiris. I am leaving a voice note from Australia. Um, I started listening to the podcast because I know Micah IRL, (laughs) Um, but I've kept listening because I am obsessed with this podcast and the two of you just talking together. Um, I'm watching along with the pod. I actually will not watch the episode until I listen to you guys talk to uh, talk about it first. Um, it has been so fun. And I feel like just the little insights that you guys are bringing to it just makes the experience a lot more interesting. I am definitely team Pacey. Dawson is very annoying, but watching it as an adult, I do feel like he's just a stupid teenager. But yeah, definitely Team Pacey, but loving the podcast. Great job. I'm obsessed with you guys. That's so nice. Thank you, Cyrus, giving us our first voice note moment. From Australia. From Australia. Yeah, that she's is so cool. World traveler, globe trotter, doing all the things. Dawson really is. He's just, you know, he's just going through it. Team Pacey all the way, but he's just a kid. He's 15. The way people, anyway. Yes. So, I mean, send us more voice notes. We love a voice note moment. It's a, it's we're a call-in show now. Cyrus, thank you so much. That was so exciting. I feel like you just broke new ground. When I saw that we had a voice note DM, I was very excited. If you want to slide into our DMs and have a conversation, leave us a voice note, write us a review. We're here. We want to interact. Let's do it. We do have a DM from Daniela on Instagram who says, so nostalgic, love your podcast, can't wait for next week's episode. And she was uh, one of the people who really responded to the Bravo Vanderpump Rules talk. (laughs) She's part of that that Venn diagram. That really resonated with her. We have a DM from Jill. I'm absolutely loving the pod so far. Can already tell I'll be looking forward to it each week. Thanks, Jill. Sorpot on Instagram. S-O-R-P-O-T. I'm listening in Dublin, Ireland. You guys are global. Whoa. So Ireland and Australia. We're global, baby. 
I'm still riding high because we got our first voice note. So I don't need you to read anymore. Yeah. Well, we got to spread them out, baby. So we wanted to introduce a new segment for episode 10 that we'll do yeah. every episode, which we're calling What You Watching? What You Watching? Where we're going to talk about other things that we are viewing that we love. People are always asking what I'm watching. I don't know. So we just thought it'd be a fun little pop culture y. Yeah, obviously television is really important to both of us. It's something that we've been consuming literally all of our lives and that we've been making for the last 15 years of our lives. So, yes. So for people who have joined us late or whatever, you know, part of the reason that we wanted to do this podcast was this show inspired us both to go into TV. So we both work in television. You work in post-production editing. I work in writing, producing. You are also a producer. So yeah, TV is our lives. Literally, it's our career. It's our everything. So what are you watching? Well, I feel like I, along with everyone else, is watching Jury Duty. It's so good. If you guys don't know, it's an it's a freebie show you can watch on on Amazon with ads. It is a documentary style show, but everyone in it is an actor except for one guy. So they basically cast one guy. It's a very Truman show. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know that it's fake. Now, I watched it. I loved it. Hysterical. I I was crying, laughing. So good. But. So a few people have asked me, because I also don't really get it. So Freevee is an app that exists on its own, but you can access it through Prime as well. But either way, Freevee has no paid plans. You have to you have to sit through the ads. Very funny show. Hysterical. It's so good. It has, it's eight episodes. It has a good payoff at the end. Mm-hmm. It's, I would recommend it to anyone. And to tie it back to Dawson's, one person on the show is a famous actor. It's James Marsden, who was in Disturbing Behavior with Katie Holmes. He plays him. They he plays himself. So he says, you know, I'm an actor. You know, it takes place in L.A. And it's about yeah, just this one guy who shows up for jury duty, and everyone is an actor that the world is revolving around him, but he doesn't know it. He finds out at yeah. the end. He thinks that they're making a documentary about serving jury duty so there's justification for him to do like talking head interviews and that kind of thing but otherwise it's he just thinks they're a jury duty so good yeah keeping it in the dawson's world i started um i did not see the fourth episode but i watched the first three episodes of fatal attraction with joshua jackson i'm looking at as as objectively as possible it has a slow start for me personally but it's great seeing Josh back on our screens. Lizzie Kaplan's amazing. Amanda Pete's amazing. They make some choices. I'm not really sure how I feel about. It's a two timeline in the future and in the in the past. Mm. I don't really know why it couldn't just be a linear show. But anyway, check it out. And is that week to week? It's week to week. The first three dropped on April 30th, and then now it's going to go uh, one episode a week. It's good. I mean, it's you see Josh's derriere, if you will. You know, it's like a sexy thriller show i don't think they're gonna make it as clear cut as the movie i think they're gonna try to show you more where like lizzie kaplan's character is coming from and why she is the way she is and it's not gonna be so black and white it's good i really want to watch it i'm gonna i'm probably gonna wait to bank a few more and then the last thing that i will probably bring up in what you're watching of this week is we binged all of beef on netflix which is really just it was good i mean it ebbed and flowed for sure but i think it's worthy of the praise that it's getting i've heard great things about it yeah it's a a show with a predominantly asian cast and they get into a 
road rage incident in the pilot and then these two people just kind of become obsessed with each other like in a negative way yes they become obsessed with taking each other down great idea for a show as someone who just got into a car crash yesterday oh my gosh (laughs) i could see why it takes off like i could see it's a very relatable thing to me to me it really it's like a dark soap i'd say very soapy a lot of twists so if that's your thing Ali Wong, Steve Yoon. Love her. Love him. Yeah. And you are catching up on Succession, so we won't say much because I am. there's a lot of spoilers, but you're my, loving Succession. Yeah. My partner and I started it last month, maybe a couple of months ago, and we're on season two. We're really slow rolling it, and I, I need to pick up the pace because I don't. I know once it, once it ends, it's going to be everywhere. You kind of have to slow roll succession, though, because it is the episodes are dense. They're a lot. They are. I mean, it's very bantery. There's a lot of dialogue. It's a lot of like, wait, what just happened? I need to like do I need to sit with that episode. It's not something where you could sit true. down to like three a night, you know, it feels very different then, but very akin to Handmaid's Tale, where like I watch one and I'm like, I need to like process it. And it's mm-hmm. not Handmaid's Tale is like in a heavy way. And succession is heavy sometimes, but it's even just so dense like there's so much information it feels like wall-to-wall dynamics between the characters and information about murder we were just talking about this yesterday mergers and acquisitions and all this stuff that it's just like it's a lot it's a lot i don't know what any of the deals mean on succession i'm like (laughs) what okay not a show but i did see the other night are you there god it's me margaret Mm. now never read the book didn't watch a trailer just kind of went in I need I've had a hell of a week and I was just like I need something like just to escape and I honestly got tickets for it thinking it was a Jennifer Garner movie because in my head I was like I see the billboards oh Jennifer Garner it was Rachel McAdams not Jennifer Garner <laughs> I love Rachel McAdams just as much as I love Jennifer Garner but anyway the movie was so good so pure so sweet it takes place in 1970, but the way they made it just felt, it just felt very relevant, timely. It takes place in 1970, but just, oh, chef's kiss. I just thought, it, I was very impressed with it. So highly recommend that. Let's talk about the writer's strike. Let's talk about the writer's strike. The writer's guild is striking. So none of, no shows are being written currently. Some shows are being shot, but they need to be scripts that have been written before May 1st. We're currently on strike, which means I pick it every day at a, at a certain studio. And I was on my way to pick it yesterday when I got into a car crash. So yeah, last night I just really wanted to see something uplifting and that movie did the trick. Good. I'm glad. Going back to the strike, I think it's a misconception that writing happens and then shooting happens and then editing happens. Writing is something that happens throughout the entire process. When they're shooting, there's rewrites being done on set. There's rewrites being done in the room. There's It's a constant, ever-evolving thing. A show mm-hmm. is a living, breathing thing until it is on the air. So there are shows still shooting, my show being one of them. But that means that there there can be zero changes to the script, which yes. is why the Duffer brothers just tweeted yesterday that they will be shutting down production on sh- the final season of Stranger Things. Even though the scripts are written, they want to be in solidarity with the Writers Guild, and they know that conceivably there's no way that there's not going to be rewrites that happen on set. Yes. So to give it some context, the scripts are written, 
they get down to stage to set they're being shot sometimes when you're shooting especially in a comedy a joke doesn't land a joke just doesn't work on its feet it might be funny on paper it's just not working so you need an alt or you need to punch it up punch it up means make it funnier alt means just like a different just put a different joke there's something so if you're on these live studio audience sitcoms like Friends, anything with a laugh track is, is a multi-cam comedy. So Friends, Seinfeld's Big Bang Theory, any of these shows that have a laugh track in it means there's a live studio audience watching it. They perform those jokes live in front of an audience. If the audience doesn't really react or get a big laugh, you shoot it again and the writers are constantly pitching new lines for that joke. And it's the same for hour longs, you know, just sometimes it doesn't have to be a joke. If Dawson says to Jen, every guy's had you from here to Brian Park or whatever that line was from last episode, if they're on set and they're like, that line was like really harsh, like we need to kind of take the heat off of that. So we're going to we're going to give Dawson a new line. That's writing. If you're if you're pitching that on the fly on set and you're giving James Vanderbeek a new line, that's writing. Or if for some reason in in hour long drama, sometimes there's going to be a scene that you need to omit for whatever reason like either there's a schedule reason or there's a logistics reason or maybe the episode is when you're shooting it timing out longer than the script was timing out and they're like we need to make up this time so a writer will come in and kind of write a bridge between two scenes where a scene formerly was a writer they call it the showrunner the executive producer the guy who's kevin williams isn't is the showrunner of dawson's creek season one that person is always on set to make sure just everything is going according to plan, according to script, answer little questions that pop up, jack of all trades, putting out fires left and right. If you're in the Writers Guild, you can't go to set during a strike. So productions and studios, they want to shoot the scripts that are written. But like you're saying, it's just not that easy. It's never that black and white. The scripts are always changing. And most importantly, there would literally not be something to shoot and to put on the television if writers didn't write it first so it's important to remember that they're literally the ones that all this stuff is stemming from all your favorite stuff came from a writer should we talk about the dawson's drink for next week yeah so next week is episode 111 friday the 13th this one sticks out in my brain big time we will be drinking a bloody mary i'm sure most of you have had a bloody mary before you can buy pre-made bloody mary mix But if you're feeling fancy, you can make it yourself and you will need tomato juice, horseradish, hot sauce, Worcestershire sauce, lemon juice, and salt and pepper. And then obviously we will be adding vodka to that. So this episode is a scream. I know what you did last summer. It's a slasher kind of homage since that's what Kevin was doing. and That's what he's known for. They did a Dawson's Creek episode based on this. And Release Date Rewind, which is also another great podcast and another great Instagram account, he actually just posted the promo to this episode and called it one of the best TV episodes ever. It aired 25 years ago this week. So we're, we're catching up on the, yeah, we're catching up in the air dates, but it's, it's a great episode. There's a serial killer in New England that's traveling around and so it's hitting the news and it's fun. It's a fun little scary it's fun to see these characters in the same situations as like characters from Scream. So Michelle Williams in the promo, Michelle Williams answers the phone and it's someone saying like, what's your favorite scary movie? Hello, Jennifer, or whatever she says. So it's just fun watching our characters in that context of Scream. And I know what you did last summer. 
And it's fun to remember that Dawson's Creek came from the same brain that created those things. Mm-hmm. Kevin Williamson is the best on multiple fronts. Yeah. Well, I guess that is episode 110, Modern Romance. Dawson has been asked some hard-hitting questions, and we're going to have to see in the next few episodes how he sorts it out. Will it be the blonde, or will it be the brunette? Will it be Betty, or will it be Veronica? Will it be Joey, or will it be Jen? Can't wait to find out. All right. I would hope we're going to get some more voice notes. For your sake, I hope we do, because... You have been asking and asking and asking. All right. So we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.